Welcome to Stand Up Comedy Sex Ed. It's where you can get questions answered like How long does it take the average man to orgasm? And How long does it take the average woman to orgasm? And also Why is it so hot in here? Audiences agree, it's brilliantly funny. Raylene makes sex ed fun. This show is entertaining, factual, and relatable. There's nothing worse than being halfway done with sex and feeling your vagina shut down on you. <laughs> You've got to see stand-up comedy sex ed. I am ready to go do that comedy show. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to season two of stand-up comedy sex ed. I'm going to start by what I usually end with, which is telling you what I'm looking for, because I have a feeling once I get to the tell me how people can find you thing, people probably stop listening. And there are people that I want to interview on the show. So if you know anyone who is a dominatrix, a sex worker in porn, phone sex, prostitute, whatever their proper, proper title is, or if there's all three different one of those, a man who got a circumcision as an adult, an erotica writer, or any other sex topic that you think I should cover, or you know a person, hook me up because I just love to find out new stuff and share the information with you guys. So thanks so much for listening to the show. And so today I have a very special guest, Kamala Devi McClure, and they are an author, speaker, and sex and relationship coach. And oh my God, I have so many questions for you. Excellent. I'm so excited. And it's fun to hear your list of, uh, you know, who you're hanging out with, like Jesus, the, the prostitute sex workers, the, <laughs> the, the adult circumcisions. What a fun crowd. I'm just curious. And, and I know if I'm curious, that means other people have to be curious. So, you know, like, especially the males, a male circumcised as an adult, like, I want to know, does it feel different? Like, does it feel like new equipment? Does it feel like it's broken now? Does it, I mean, I'm just so curious. I, I don't know how I got started doing this. I honestly don't. So uh, first thing I have for you is I saw Sex Magic. The movie, and, the documentary. No, I, I, okay. I didn't, I didn't see, all right. I didn't even know what it was. I just saw Sex Magic and I'm like, tell me about Sex Magic. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So as a, as a practice, and I wouldn't call it a Tantra practice as much as a, mm, almost a eroticized law of attraction practice. It's the, the, uh, when you take an intention, just like in law of attraction, it's like you set a goal, you think and grow rich, or you feel and grow rich as the movie, the secret would teach. Um, this okay. is instead you like get turned on <laughs> and you supercharge your erotic energy with whatever that intention is. And by rich, I mean, abundance. I don't necessarily mean dollar bill signs, but it's like, <laughs> what are you creating in your life? That's going to give you fulfillment and how to uh, rewire your brain and your body, your whole mind-body complex with the possibility of what you're creating. Why not use the creative life force? You know, that's what sexuality is for. It's for birthing babies or birthing, you know, thought babies or, you know, material babies. And um, so sex magic as a practice is like a manifestation with your erotic or orgasmic energy. Wow. So tell me what, I mean, what is that? Is that, is that 
attracting more orgasms into your life? Is it attracting, um, I don't know. So I have, a, I have an issue where I will not do oral favors. They make me gag. Like I can't even think about it. So <laughs> is there a way to attract not gagging? <laughs> you know, could be. Uh, it, I would put what you're talking about in the category of sexual healing. Um, because it's like, Hey, there's a, whether it's a trauma or, you know, it's a body, um, reaction that I'm wanting to like physical therapy, retrain, recreate. Sure. You could take something like whether you're gagging or you're saying, Hey, I have a torn ACL or I get, you know, um, digestive problems, like whatever's happening in your body. If you want to bring sexual energy into it because we all know that sex like orgasmic energy actually is a flood of well-being and a cascade of neurochemistry that you know brings us closer to our higher template of health (laughs) so you can use sex magic for sexual healing um, of the body but there's a distinction that i make between healing and transformation so Healings when something's like, you know, it's, it's not broken, but, but not in wholeness, right? Right. Healing is a part of wholeness. It's like, okay, well, I'm not whole in this area. So I'm going to bring more of my orgasmic energy and attention to it. Um, and then I can start to, you know, repair. But once we're in a place of wholeness, then we actually have more resources and more vital radiant energy to direct towards what else are we creating? And ideally it's like creating that which contributes and serves to others, not just, as I said, you know, Hey, I want this for me or my, you know, my problems. It's more like, how do we potentiate, you know, ourselves as human beings? Right. And did you say there's a documentary or a movie? Yeah. So we had, Oh gosh, it's probably been 10 years. A, Um, award-winning documentary called Sex Magic um, that tells the story of sacred sexual healers. Starting in Sedona, there was a temple there and it, it, uh, Babadez is the founder and the main character who the story follows. And so he, in this story, had just lost his beloved, was brokenhearted, and in a similar way that you're talking about, you know, hey, I have this gag reflex. It's like, I don't feel whole, you know? He started using sex magic to try to get his ex-girlfriend back. And that documentary <laughs> follows that, which can be a little dangerous uh, when we're talking about magic. Anytime we use our magical resources towards the will of somebody else, it you know, kind of teeters on the edge of black magic because we right. really only want to, we all want to be at choice and sovereign. So it brings up a really controversial issue and it's a really fun documentary and you can get it on iTunes and Amazon and all over the place. Oh, all right. Yeah. That's interesting. I'm and it might also put that. you in touch with some of the other, you know, some of the kinds of people you're seeking to interview would be on this documentary. Interesting. All right. So also we have sexual shamanism and the first question because you gave me a nice list of questions which i love because it 
leads me to not have to think too much for myself. But it says, what's the difference between sexual shamanism and regular shamanism? And I think first we have to define shamanism because I'm thinking, isn't that just a leader? Right. Well, in, thinking, in a bro- oh, you in know, what? I'm probably sense. thinking, I'm thinking Sherpa. Never mind. Ignore me. <laughs> right, so we'll Sherpa's one who carries your bags <laughs> in Nepal right. when you're climbing up. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, so there is leadership, in, you know, in shamanism, but the, ter- the term is a Western anthropological term to describe whether it's a witch doctor or a medicine man or someone who uh, goes into ecstatic states into trance and through various means, like it might be plant medicines, it might be drumming or spinning, or, you know, there's various ways to get into trance. And then from (laughs) that state, they induce or um, download visions, prophecy, medicine to support not just themselves, but the tribe. You know, it's, it's more of that, hey, I'm doing this not just for me, but for the you know, for the whole, for the community. And so that's the role of a shaman in any and all cultures. So it's not like I'm talking about just in Peru or Guatemala or even Siberia where it came from. It's like every culture has people who have this gift and the general term shamanism, you know, is is anyone who goes into an ecstatic state or a altered state in order to bring medicine from the unseen world into the seen world. And a sex shaman is someone whose medicine, you know, instead of ayahuasca or, you know, like I said, drumming, their medicine is sex, Uh, erotic trance is sexual energy. And they either, you know, raise their vibration, get to that state themselves or support others in getting into that state so that they can access, again, like an oracle, uh, their higher selves, spirit guides, prophecy, whatever wants to come through from the other side. Wow. I just like to have orgasms. <laughs> <laughs> and have you noticed that sometimes when you come really hard, really big, that you're like, whoa, like the walls are melting. I'm feeling a little high. You know, I don't, I think everybody who's ever had an orgasm is like, what that's an extraordinary experience. It's not right. Mundane. Some of them, not all of them. Some of them them you're done and you're like, holy shit. I'm, I'm, I think I just meditated out of myself. I don't know what fucking happened. That's right. That's right. And and then then other ones you're like, yeah, thanks. That was nice. It was like a sneeze, right? Like (laughs) my genitals just sneezed. Yes. Well, that's why Honestly, um, uh, so you probably haven't listened to a bunch of my episodes, but that's my main reason why I won't put a penis in my mouth because it's basically a penis sneeze. Oh, I see. I see. It's a mental thing for me. I know it is, but it just, that's just my, I don't well, know. You know you, you, I appreciate you saying it's a mental thing, like, because you're acknowledging that there's probably a, a set of belief systems and there's a block there. But it's also very likely there's muscle memory and there's physiological, you know, uh, you know, the body's very wise and it will often protect us with certain defenses. And that is not something to override. It's something to really deeply listen to. Like, okay, well, what, what is this protecting me from? You know, how is this 
serving me in my life, you know, and maybe once, you know, if, if those threats or that concern is sincerely still there, then it really serves you to never do that. Right. But, but if it's just veils of past pain, you know, and maybe it's from your lineage, maybe it's from your past lives, like who knows where that came from, but maybe it was from a, a very explicit rape that, you know, you just don't want to remember. And whatever, and I'm not talking to you at this point, we're talking right, about, right, right. you know, the body wisdom that comes up. But once we deeply get into partnership with the body and we say, well, does this serve the whole of me? We can recognize that it's, you know, body, mind, spirit. We want to move congruently and we only want to have sex, whether it's putting a penis in our mouths or anywhere else, <laughs> right? <laughs> any other part of us. Um, we only want to do that if we're congruently a yes, you know, all the way up, all the way down. Right. And, and, you know, if any part of you mind or even your body or, you know, your, your a, a relationship that's not even with you, if there's a relationship that's telling you not to do that, then, you know, we should move at the rate that everything, you know, move at the slowest link so that we can be a hell yes when we're really in right. content. Yeah, that's um, we, we've covered this on this podcast a number of times because I just I have no filter, but um, <laughs> I, I did. I was exposed to a, uh, a masturbating man at a fairly young age in my life, and I got to watch him masturbate onto a car seat. And I was just like, ew. And I yeah. don't know if that's why to this day I don't want a penis in my mouth, but it quite likely is. But also if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> like my husband's <laughs> not demanding it and I don't want to, that's cool. Like, yeah. Yeah. And there's lots of other ways to experience, you know, right. extraordinary pleasure. We don't, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm um, nosy. So I had read on one of the papers that you are, your partner is a dominatrix, dominator. I don't, no, yeah. So, <laughs> so great. So I think that was 25 years ago. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I've been on this path for quite a long time. Right. I'm, I'm currently living with, um, uh, you know, I have a husband and a 13 year old son. Uh, and though my husband is very dominant in nature, he's far from a professional dominatrix. Um, <laughs> I lived as a professional submissive in Hawaii for a few years. And that wow. was during an initiatory time when I was coming into my sexual awakening, I was learning about surrender. And it's funny because at the time I was like, Ooh, it's kinky and it's dark. And you know, like we had a lot of Japanese businessmen that was the clientele in, in Hawaii at the time in the you know, 90s. And that I, I just learned how to surrender to these total strangers. And it actually was a practice of surrendering. It was a relational practice with this dominatrix who I really trusted. And through that surrender, I actually would get into these states, these what's called subspace and it was some of the most sublime, uh, you know, deep dissolving, letting go of identity, you know, that, that experience of just really uh, devotionally letting go of control. 
And so it was a spiritual experience, but it was never intended to be. So I, through BDSM, actually started to access these tantric teachings. That's weird. I actually had heard, and I guess I wouldn't even have any idea where I would have heard this, that um, Japanese men prefer to be the submissive because they're not allowed to be in Japan. Like they always have to be strong male figures. And so they, but now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, I don't know where I would have heard that or why it would have stuck into my head or if that even makes sense, but then. Right. So what does make sense about it independent of culture um, is there is a, a drive for polarity and an attraction to the opposite. So when we are always expressing on one side of the continuum, then part of the soul like wants to reclaim its soul loss. You know, it's like, oh, if I'm always in power, I finally, I just want to let go, you know, and surrender. Or if I'm always somebody's bitch and I'm taking orders, then I would love to be in a place where I'm totally in charge, you know, and that tends to be, um, not just a stereotype in the BDSM community, there tend to be people who are overcompensating for what they do in their daily life or even in their marriage. You know, they're like, in my marriage, I'm this way. So with my Dom, I'm this way. Mm -hmm. And so that is very common in terms of it being Japanese or, you know, cultural thing. We had, (laughs) you know, I I had the experience of a a lot of different cultures. Um, I think the Japanese clientele were our bread and butter, but it it was really not not unique and specific to them, and they would take both sides. And in, in oh. you know, in the small test sample that I had in those two years, right. I was astounded <laughs> by you look this way on the outside, and you your gooey inside center is not as you appear. So, in a like a a dom sub. Is it about sex or is it about control? It's not even always about control. Although, um, so the answer is yes and, right? Like, <laughs> I think like uh, improv. <laughs> improv and comedy. It's, um, it, it really isn't an either or. With the you know, BDSM umbrella, there's a lot of different kinks and flavors and styles and why people are attracted to it, why they're not... So some people genuinely are sexually turned on and that's their sexual thing. So I'm not going to say it's not about sex, Um, but there's, it's, I like the term power exchange because it's like, we're playing with energy. It's an energy exchange and power as an energy is one that's really corrupt and misunderstood in our culture. Like there's a lot of power over and there's a lot of like power shaming And so BDSM tends to be a place where we can play with power and within the rules and the boundaries and the negotiations, ideally we're playing with power in a healthy way, in a way that's, Mm -hmm. you know, like consciously pre-negotiated. So it's, you know, not just consensual, but really, really sometimes healing to to play with power. Um, And power and sex, you know, in the same, you know, people talk about sex, power, money. These are are deep areas of taboo, deep areas of of charge. And they're deep areas of cultural wounding. Like all you have to do is look at the Netflix menu 
and say, wow, there's all these movies that have sex and violence, you know, like entwined together. And we have all these fucked up models of power and sex, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And so BDSM is a safe place where you can explore running these two energies together. That's so interesting. I just, I don't, I'm so curious about it's, it's like, I like to think about it. Oh, so how did, how did 50 shades of gray feel for you? Was it way off base? Was it a good introduction or was it just crazy? Right. So I have, yes. And (laughs) I have all of those feelings about 50 shades of gray. And what's so funny is, uh, you know, I'm watching it. Of course, my body's responding, you know, like because Jamie was hot. Yeah. First, when I read it, you know, first I read it and hated it, but couldn't stop reading. Then I'm watching it. And as a, as I'm, you know, I'm a theater director and I'm, I've got this, this, I'm a movie critic, you know, in my own armchair. And I'm like, I hate the movie. And yet I'm wet, you know? (laughs) So, you know, I'm having this whole love, hate, relationship with this massive cultural media thing. And part of what I love about it is, yay, the, like the culture is talking about power and sex and yay, these housewives are being introduced to it in private, you know, in a safe, safe way. And so I was delighted for its success. But then my girlfriend and I at the time were like, oh, we could do better than that. Like we've got stories to tell and like we would want it to be this or that. And so we started kind of spoofing Fifty Shades of Grey with a a novel that I wrote called 52 Fridays. Ah, I want to talk about that too. Yeah, so in reaction to that actual movie, I ended up writing uh, 52 queer, kinky, poly, tantric sex scenes and putting them together in a coherent love story. And that was just a fun adventure for me because it came from my heart and my soul. Like what's, you know, it's one thing to critique a mainstream thing and say, oh, you know, they did this and that wrong. I don't like critiquing and tearing stuff down. I like contributing and like building something creative. And that's where 52 Fridays came from is like, well, this is how I would tell a kinky hot, you know, story that actually has integrity and intelligence. So that's why I yeah. wrote that book. Yeah, I, I I would say as far as a well-written book, it was not, but it was hot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not a critic either, but I'm like, how many times can you talk to your inner voice? <laughs> like, it did get a little, a little weird. I actually didn't even realize that that's what that was about. Um, so was your how did your family feel about that book did they read it (laughs) great question yeah so um it's really explicit and super I mean there's scenes in there where you know they're by the way it's about a uh dominant uh theater director and her submissive submissive theater student you know, so you didn't go too far off what you know. Right. <laughs> and they had their other lovers. And but basically it's their Friday date night and all the kinky stuff they do, which includes, you know, fucking fruit and like, you know, like doing these scenes, like even dentistry scenes where she's, you know, since you brought up the oral fixation, there's like fist fucking and there's of the mouth you know like just different things that are just like out there including fist fucking but of um the yoni and being bound and and 
gang rape fantasies and, you know, like the, all, just all this fantasy role play. And so it's extremely obscene for practical purposes. And how do we go to the depths of that within the loving container of a consensual relationship is, is the big challenge. And my, my mom, <laughs> who's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Mexican Jewish. So I've got a, a Mexican mother, a Jewish father. Um, and, and my father, insisted, I didn't give it to him at first. You know, he, he'd heard I'd written it and he's read all my other books. He's an author and he actually critiques and gives me feedback on my other books. And I told him, you know, you may want to wait on this one. <laughs> like, let's just not go there. And so- I don't really need your opinion on this one. <laughs> that's right. I think there's probably even a daddy seat, like fetish scene, you know, there's probably oh something that's really <laughs> upsetting to him. And my mother was, um, she says, you give me all your books. You know, I want to put it on my library. I want to put it in my bookshelf. And I was like, okay, copy. <laughs> yeah, all right, enjoy. And then she said she hasn't been able to read it because everybody keeps stealing it. Like everyone in the family keeps like sneaking it off with it. And she's like, and, and I ask them, how is it? And they don't want to talk about it. <laughs> right. That's hilarious. And then, yeah, my father said, he's like, I started it. And then I thought, you're right. I probably want to give weight, you know, maybe... <laughs> <laughs> maybe Do I, I really terrible. want to be turned on by something my daughter wrote <laughs> that's right <laughs> that's actually so funny because my mom and dad won't even come to my comedy show because it's too naughty for them and I I just I mean I talk about sex because it's what I know and, um, and where did you come from right where right. did it was their sex that brought you here but it's not culturally appropriate for some reason, for us to talk about our parents' sex or for our parents to talk about our kids' sex. And right. as an, as a sex advocate, I genuinely think that that very taboo, which feels almost like people don't even question it. It's like, yeah, I don't want to know. Right. But that very taboo causes the most wounding and perpetuates the misunderstandings, misconceptions, the darkness, the shame. That very taboo stops right. us from really rewriting the whole intergenerational, you know, uh, shame script that keeps being rewritten because of our silence. Right. Kids got to know that their parents are enjoying sex. Like, and, you know, you know just I for mean, us not to at the moment to, that it's happening, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, but to be able to learn and talk about sex from the very people, you know, that we, right, that raise us for everything else. I just yeah. remember when um, my youngest... I'm guessing she was 10 or 11 and she wanted to rearrange her bedroom. And, and I was like, yeah, you could put your bed on any wall except for this one. And she's, you know, the, the, the wall that goes up against my wall. And she's like, why? And I just, I said, do you want to hear me and your dad having sex? And she was just like, ew, you still do that. And I'm like, you know what I do for a living. You know, I go out and talk about sex for a living. What makes you think that me and your dad are not having sex? And then also, like a couple of months later, you know, the whole, I had a nightmare, boom, bedroom door. And it's like, ah, and I said, Sarah, you, you gotta, you gotta start knocking. And she's like, why? And I was like, sex. And she goes, ew, like, well, <laughs> knock it off. So that's, yeah. I mean, that was one of my lists is I wanted to talk to erotica writers because, um, I don't do porn. I don't, I don't, I just don't, 
I just don't. I have no reason for it. I, I mean, I was raised born again Christian, so we didn't have that stuff in our house, but it, I don't think that has anything really to do with it. Um, uh, but I'm also more of a, uh, a reading kind of person. So yeah. I don't, um, I don't watch porn, but I will read the hell out of the penthouse forum magazines or the, <laughs> um, not the magazines, the books that they put out. And there's like, I don't know how many there are, but whenever I'm finished with one and I hand it to my husband, he hands me another one. Like he's got a stash. Somewhere. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. And I like to read, I like to read about it. And, and then it's, you know, and not all the time, but I can't imagine what it's like to write it. Mm. Yeah, it is a culturally one of the most private things is like, okay, what is your masturbatory material? You know, what do you think of when you're self-pleasuring? And because most erotica writers have to write about what turns them on, you know, it's like, I'm not excited how my reader is going to be excited. So it is a deep revealing of here's my inner libidinal landscapes and I'm going to give it to the world. And then I know once it's out there that now I have to make up new fantasies. <laughs> well, no, that trust me, I have a wellspring that is kind of unstoppable. So I'm not too worried about more material. <laughs> it just keeps flowing. <laughs> but I am tripping on how my fantasy then becomes and morphs and turns into some like what somebody else reads is a whole different experience from what I'm envisioning. You know, that subjectivity right. of art, how you write one story and if it's writ- if it's read by you know, 10,000 readers, you have 10,000 versions of that story. Right. That fascinates me. And is that book on like Amazon or something? It's yeah. Everywhere <laughs> books are sold. So 52 Fridays. Um, and it's something that you, you know, hearing now that you and your husband re- are both erotic readers. It's oh no, he doesn't read. No, he read doesn't. Together. He just he just stores them for me. He knows what I like. And, <laughs> and uh, he just, you know, like he knows, you know, sometimes at 52 years old, sometimes it's hard to get aroused. And so sometimes he'll reach over with the whole boob pat thing. And I'm like, hold on, let me get the book. You know. So have you so read to him though? That might be a fun way to connect. Um, that's, that's the biggest feedback that I'm getting from my book is, oh, I read this with my beloved and we read it together and it's very bonding and and then they get to play afterwards. And I'm curious if you, you know, we, here's we have not, you. <laughs> no, we haven't done that. But what uh, I remember, I was reading a book and this was a really, really long time ago. I think it was right after we got married. And there was a fairly erotic passage in it. And it wasn't, a, you know, a book that was supposed to be super erotic. It, you know, it was you know, well before Fifty Shades of Grey, but I read it and I was like, whoo. Right. And he looked at me, he goes, really? So I'm like, read this. And I gave it to him. And then he obviously became aroused. And I'm like, I told you, you know, it's like, that was just a really sexy passage. Yeah, that's fun. (laughs) But he likes to maintain the whole, uh, I don't really, I'm not a sexual person. Like he, he's, he doesn't talk about it. You know, when, when I introduce sex toys to our marriage, you know, like anything new that we're bringing home, I just put it under his pillow 
And then a couple of days later, he's like, look what I found. And I'm like, you did. Oh my God. (laughs) How did that get there? (laughs) Exactly. And that's, and that's just the way we got to do it. Cause he gets all embarrassed and blushy and whatever, but he, he has no problems using the toys once he has them. That's fun. But he's got to maintain the whole, I, I have no idea what's going on here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sounds like the two of you have your own little role play going on. Yeah, we do. (laughs) Yeah. He plays the innocent. I play the innocent. We go back and forth. It's kind of fun. (laughs) So uh, do you have, what kind of advice do you have for somebody who wants to write something erotic? So... I genuinely want people to write in their own voice. And so, you know, just taking your husband as an example, I'm surprised having met a lot of erotic writers that a lot of them are like your husband where it's like, hey, I can't talk about it. I don't act on it, but my writing becomes an outlet. You know, it's kind of like the person who's in control that goes to a dominatrix and can really surrender. A lot of times people can be really conservative in their outer world and then they have a secret identity and their right. fantasies can come out in their, you know, writing. And that que- that question is probably the one I get the biggest most is if I did write erotica, should I use my real name or a pseudonym? <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm like you, no censor, can't, can't shut up. You know, I'm already out. <laughs> so for me, it's a no brainer for anybody else who's writing erotica there's some real, you know, considerations around how, how, how much and far to put yourself out there. Um, but in terms of inspiration for the actual practice, I would say that okay, I'll, I'll admit, I tried when I was first writing erotic, I thought that, oh, I'll just self-pleasure and then I'll fantasize and then I'll translate that into writing or I'll write and then get so turned on and then I go away and start self-pleasuring. And it can be really, once those two things are deeply linked, um, it can be really distracting and the writing can be slow because it takes like twice as long to write anything (laughs) because now you're running to the bedroom and you're, and I was like, oh, if I'm really gonna get this book finished, I've got to stay at my desk and not go to the bed or the bath or, so there is a cultivation of uh, arousal while you're writing that you can be in erotic space, but then learn to sublimate that energy into the writing as opposed to releasing it through your genitals. So that writing itself can be very um, sustainable. You know, you want... Mm-hmm. I, I, I encourage people to be like, Ooh, allow yourself to get, to get turned on. And from that erotic turn on trance, write your work instead of trying to think it up while you're self-pleasuring or, you know, vice versa. Cause that can be really distracting. Right. I have been known to, to crack up during sex and my husband's like, what? I'm like, nothing. I just wrote a joke. Like I just, just, can I, can I jot this down though? Can I write it down before I forget? Yeah. And see, that sounds a little bit more like sex magic because your sexual energy raises and then your craft comes through because you're being creative. Sexual energy is creative energy. So you start vibrating at that level of being like, Hey, I'm 
tapped in and I'm turned on and I'm getting downloads. And so <laughs> it's great. Well, in my case, it's usually he's just done something and I'm like, oh my God, I'm definitely going to write down, you know, we've been married 25 years. How are you on my inner thigh and think you're on my glitters? Like what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I'm going to write this down because, and we actually did have arguments when I first started comedy because he would get really upset and, um, about you using him as material. Well, yeah, because I, I'm talking about sex and, yeah. and he's like, oh, so, you know, like you think sex is sex is like being on a diet. And I was like, well, okay. Yeah. But you know, it's not, he went, so there was a while where he was banned from coming to my shows. And I was like, you have to realize that all comedy is based in some form of reality that made the person think of the joke to begin with. That's not hundred percent the whole joke you know, I'm not making fun of you, but is it not? I mean, if you're in a committed relationship with one partner, that's your menu and you're not allowed to go <laughs> off the menu, whatever you, you add the menu, you take it off the menu. It's fine, but that's your menu. And you're not allowed to lick the cupcakes that are not on your menu. Right. right? That's, that was the point of the joke. The point of the joke isn't that I feel, I mean, you can have a cheesecake factory size menu, but still that's your menu. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and, uh, yeah, in, in so. like in your case where you're monogamous, that is the case. Yes. <laughs> right. And uh, you, you have know, a cheesecake, I'm, you have a cheesecake factory menu. No, I have multiple <laughs> menus for right. from a whole, okay. you know, I've got a whole drawer full of menus um, in you're, the yeah. almost 20 you're like years. Being at a, you're like being at a hotel and you just open up the book. And you're like, what, what concierge? Here is all of the available food in this and area. It, and it's fun because my husband also has, he even has menus that I don't get to eat off of. You know, we have been in this open marriage and we have lovers that we don't share. And then we have certain lovers that we do. And uh, so there's no lack of variety. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you're the third openly poly person that I've had on my show. Right. It's, you know. it's there could be other ones who are being quiet about it, but <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it really is a sustainable alternative to monogamy. I mean, and it's becoming more and more uh not just acceptable, but accessible. Right. Yeah. I'm just uh lazy AF and my husband is trained to do things exactly the way I want, and I do not want to uh, mess with that. Right. right. <laughs> and that is the only reason that I am not interested in, in doing anything else. I just, and it's not, you know, it's, it's not just about the sexual diversity. It could also be the shape of your heart. You know, you're, you're content, right. you're devoted, you're, you know, not in need for uh, a lot of, and I consider relationships, a lot of personal growth. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of, you know, communication and, and, and I, I don't get enough, you know, from just my husband of all of the other, you know, the sex, I actually am very satisfied with my husband. Uh, but there's intellectual and emotional and spiritual places that we get met elsewhere. And that, right. that really nourish, nourishes me. I cover, we covered that. I have another podcast called Undebatable and we kind of covered that a little bit yesterday and we were talking about crushes mm -hmm. and you know, how a crush isn't necessarily sexual. Like you can have girl crush, you can have a guy crush, you can have somebody that you, you know, a work wife, 
Yeah. Um, my husband, my husband had a work wife. He didn't know what that was. And I was like, it's the person at work that you talk to the most that you go to when you're, you know, it's like, it's just the person that supports you. And, and, uh, it's pretty common and he, and he, you know, and it wasn't a problem until we were in Mexico and he wanted to buy his work wife, a bottle of tequila. <laughs> I said, I just want to flip this on you. How would you feel if I was going to bring a bottle of tequila home to someone that I worked with? that you knew I had a close relationship with you. And, and, and he was like, Nope, you're right. Because he's significantly more jealous than I am. I see. Um, I am very confident in our relationship. If, if I was ever, you ever see like, uh, what was it? Hope floats where yeah. Sandra Bullock just gets blindsided on the stage. Like if anything ever happened, it would be like that. I'm hundred percent confident, but for some reason he just is not a, he, you know, you're, that you're flirting with that guy. So going home with you. <laughs> um, so when, but when, when he does things like that, all I just say to him is, so how would you feel if I did that? And if you're okay with me bringing a bottle of tequila home to a guy at work, then you go ahead and bring home that bottle of tequila for your friend. And, yeah. and so what that tells me is that the two of you value fairness, that that's a value that you have. And there's a lot of relationships that aren't actually based on fairness. Uh, there are, you know, open relationships that have very asymmetrical, you know, like, hey, it's not tit for tat. It's not, I get to do this. So you, get, you know, especially if you're, uh, let's see, single sex poly, which is just a tag line or a name for someone who says, oh, you know, you can see because you're bisexual, if you're in a married and one partner is bisexual, you can see men and women. Um, but the other person, or, or you can only see women because I'm a man and I only want my wife to see women and I don't want them to see man. So that's a single sex poly right. arrangement. And, and the man would be like, well, can I also see women? And it's like, no, you can't, no, you have to not. see men. <laughs> right. And, and it may not even be fair. Cause there's some, some relationships where the person's just completely monogamous and the other person's poly. And, and I'm, you know, it really takes all kinds and there's no hard and fast, like this is how it's done, but it is important that both parties share the deep values that those relationship agreements are based on. And I am hearing that you and your husband just agree that, Hey, fairness is fairness. And that's something that right. you want, you know, want as a cornerstone of how you make your decisions. Yeah. I just wanted him to realize from, from my perspective because I d actually did not have really a problem with him bringing her a bottle of tequila. I yeah. just wanted him to, to see that he had a double um, standard. Yeah. You, you would not be. And it was it, like one time he had a drink with the guys after work and he got home later than usual. And it was, it was no big deal, except that I was waiting for him because I had to leave. And, you know, he got home and I was like, wow, you're really late today. And he goes, and he, you know, he went to give me a kiss and I was like, beer on your breath and he's like what's the big deal I'm a grown man I can stay up and, and uh he like got really defensive and I got in the car because I had to leave and I called him and I'm like yeah you can you can stay after work and have a beer with the guys but you also can tell me that you're gonna be late like I don't have a problem with that and he's like oh I'm sorry and I'm like I mean I know I mean just yeah. <laughs> sometimes I'm just like I'm not your mom <laughs> <laughs> It's funny. I think he just thinks I'll be more jealous. Maybe he's going to be mad that I'm never jealous. 
Although to be fair, when we used to line dance, one time he danced too close to a girl one time and I did get jealous. I was just like, I will scratch that bitch's eyes out. <laughs> right. Like, where did that you know, come je- from? <laughs> Jealousy is a natural human emotion and, and even people in open relationships and and non-monogamous, they, you know, they really do get jealous and people just assume that, oh, you know, you must either overcome your jealousy in order to be open. And it's like, no, actually we just learn to manage it differently. Right. But, but I overcome. Think, I think I would always be like, do you like her better than me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think I could handle that. Um, so I'm going to ask you some nosy questions because I like sure. to do that and you can choose not to answer if you want to, but, uh, how old were you when you lost your virginity? which virginity are we talking about (laughs) virginity to men women to like kink to tantra which virginity i mean there's it's really funny i say that tongue-in-cheek but like there are times when i still i'm like that was a first you know i'm always looking for that new experience of like uh, going to places I've never been before. So in some real way, I feel like I re-virginate. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. All right. But for like, you know, tw- 20 uh, would, col- college kids or whatever that are listening. And I last would, week's person had uh 14 with a girl, 15 with a guy. Okay. Got it. So I've got, <laughs> I've got multiple options. Um, yeah, I would say that I was 16 when I made love. And that was like, you know, the the breakthrough conscious choice to make love. Right. Cause there's no yeah, because there's other things. Virginity that is that a I'd concept. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, do you have any funny sex stories? This is a comedy show. So many. <laughs> So many. And where do I start? Well, I mentioned fucking fruit. You know, I just, that's, that's fun. <laughs> and the, the, the funny story, this is in Fishy Chief Fridays, but Raven, who's based on my character, right, is using a banana. Um, but because of her poly arrangement with her submissive, she has to get permission from her submiss- submissive's fiance. Um, so it's, you know, like, can I do this thing with Violet? Um, and the partner's like, you must hear the conditions on which you can fuck her with a banana. You have to uh, save the banana for me to eat later. <laughs> now, the funny thing, if you've ever had sex with someone and a banana, is that if the woman's kegel muscles are fairly strong, the after time and pressure, the banana starts to turn into mush. Oh. <laughs> it really does get kind of like like fucking someone with a lip limp dick. And so it's like putting this limp mushed up banana in a Ziploc bag and sending it home to the fiance. Like, enjoy. Now I have never, so I'm just curious. The banana is still has its peel on it. Yes. So, so we actually put a condom on it. Um, yes. You don't want to get fruit crows and God right. knows what pesticides up in your, you know, <laughs> vaginal flora. So um, 
with a condom on it, with a banana peel on it. And it's like, and it was going to get mushed. Yeah. It's still going to get mushed. It's going to get mushed. That is is funny. And that is something nobody has ever heard on this podcast. And they're going to love that. (laughs) Um, that and, And so many other stories in 52 Fridays. So I'm glad to tell it. I feel like I might have to get that book. Uh, what's your favorite position? This is so ironic, but I really do love missionary. Really? And it's like, there's, you know, like 31 flavors and I just want vanilla. <laughs> and well, not that I don't love the 31 flavors, but when I say what is, you know, there's something about missionary, especially if you do lift the hips by putting a pillow under that tilts the cervix in such a way that you can get a clitoral uh, G-spot and a cervical orgasm all lined up and, you know, real fireworks can happen because that angle just really works. You know what, on one of my very first podcasts, I don't remember how many number it was, somebody mentioned a cervical orgasm and there was a lot of conversation about whether or not that's a real thing. So you're saying it is? Absolutely. Yeah. And I come from a place like my, I have a very expanded definition of orgasm. And I often say like, I have had six very unique, like in, in this body temple, I've accessed Mm -hmm. very, very unique orgasms. And, and there are, I mean, you could do infinite if you say, oh, there's heart gasms or there's out of body (laughs) orgasms or there's energy orgasms, you know, like, but in terms of, um, you know, the, the, the physiological debate about the orgasm, the cervix itself, um, you know, I have had the experience of, and touching and feeling like where the cervix winks, it, it, it pulses and you can feel it, you know, the vibration of the cervix when it's responding. And there's also an energy of the womb. And there's a difference. There's a distinction between, you know, the cervix is the nose of the womb, but the womb is, is this almost like a chakra. It's the sex Mm -hmm. chakra itself in the feminine, and it has its own vibrational, you know, um, response. And you can feel a womb like orgasm from an out-of-body place. It's like a, it's like a, a bigger than experience. Um, but yeah, in terms of like a scientist getting in there and trying to measure it or trying to quantify it, like, I don't even, I, you know, I don't bother with that to me. Orgasm is a lifting of the veil where Mm -hmm. we go beyond the, you know, the physical to our true nature, which is, you know, the greater non-physical self. We're actually tapping into the energy, the light that, that flows through all particles, you know, and it's, it's a very mystical experience. And so I'm not super interested in the technical, you know, like, well, what's happening? What's like Johnson's right. Johnson's, let's send a camera up in there. <laughs> and I am very practical where I'm like, okay, well, let's get this angle. And I know this pressure and, you know, like, let's get some very practical things that will increase the chances of orgasm in the similar way that as a yogini, I would say, yes, I want enlightenment but it doesn't just happen as I'm doing the dishes. It's like, I'll sit on the pillow and do a certain meditation practice. And that increases the experience of, you know, being enlightened. Well, now that I've heard it twice, I guess we're just going to have to accept that cervical orgasms are real. <laughs> like a, it's like a Yeti, like, <laughs> <laughs> or a Bigfoot. 
two people have seen it, it must exist. Right? <laughs> um, last question, last nosy question. Uh, do you have a favorite toy? Ooh, you know, I, I think of Anais Nin, who's like, I have a right to love many different princes and to change my prince often. You know, I really rotate in terms of different toys, different practices. Um, and I do think this is similar to the missionary answer. Um, the vibrating magic wand is such a power tool. It's such a staple. Yeah. And the Hitachi wand. Yeah, the Hitachi. And it's not it's not my favorite because I use it the most. It's just like, I think it's empowered so many people and, you know, bowing down to Betty Dobson who repopularized it. Like, I just, I think it is like a symbol of feminine empowerment um, in the bedroom. So. Right. I really thought you were going to say a bullet and I was going to be very disappointed in you. (laughs) (laughs) It's like uh, access to everything in the world and you're going to go with a bullet. Right. (laughs) Right. Uh, You know, I, I was like toying with, jade egg or you know my own crystal wand or you know there's just I mean (laughs) one time we had an experience like we were it was a gathering and there was this kind of in um and I don't want to say invitation for everyone to self-pleasure and my hands wouldn't do it in that moment, you know, it's like what's available. And I used a flower vase that happened to be in the host's house, you know, it was wasn't even my to- yeah, it wasn't even my toy. It was like, oh, this will fit. Yeah. But I I have mentioned on multiple occasions on on this podcast that a glass toy is the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with the with the avail- availability to be warm and to be cold and to do all the wonderful things. Sadly, I don't even sell glass toys, but <laughs> You would get I a healthy commission if you did. I know. Like I'm waiting for the company that I do work for to find out through my podcast that we need to sell glass toys again. Yeah, you need <laughs> some sponsorship there. I did, it would be that would be great. So Katie, how can everybody find you? Kamaladevi.com is my website. And on Kamaladevi.com, you'll find you know my bookstore. <clears throat> But most importantly, like I would love to stay in touch with a newsletter because if you sign up for it, I offer a lot of free chapters and and tools, but I like, I have this personal habit of updating people with, you know, video newsletters and here's what's happening in my life and let's stay in touch and other invitations. So check it out and um, it'd be great to hear from you there. Cool. I think I am going to get your book because I do like a little erotica and so far I don't think any of the ones I've read have poly in them. No, that's not true. Maybe they do. I don't know. Well, let me know after I read them. (laughs) Okay. So you can find me on Instagram at standupcomedysexed. You can also go to my website, standupcomedysexed.com or raylenetaskoski.com. And I've also set up a Facebook group just for this podcast so you can participate in polls, ask questions, and politely share an alternate point of view and generally let us know what you think of this episode and any other episode and give me tips and ideas of things that you want to hear about so you can search Stand Up Comedy Sex Ed Podcast on Facebook. So please subscribe to the Podcast Podcast. Subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends and rate it. And if you leave a comment that is funny, I will read it on the podcast. Thank you, Katie, for coming on my show. It has been enlightening. And 
I really enjoyed this. So have a good night. Bye. Blessings. Thank you.